Hi everyone, first of all, thank you for listening to our podcast. And second of all, I totally forgot to introduce myself, which is classic, and you haven't met me yet, so I should do that. <laughs> My name is Fien, and I'm one of the new co-hosts of the Non-Neurotypical Art Students podcast. I graduated last year from the Bachelor of Graphic Design at the KBK, and I'm neurodiverse myself as well. My neurotypes are ADHD, dyslexia, and I'm hypersensitive. You will probably get to know me better gradually over the episodes that I do. Yeah, I thought I would just say hi before the episode starts because now you know who you're listening to. So let's get on with the podcast. Hello, can I hear myself? Yeah, great. Nice. <laughs> Welcome, Katha. Hello. Um, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself, since we always do that here. Um, I'm Katha. I'm 23 years old. I study design at the Design Academy um, in Eindhoven, where I'm now in my second year. Um, and I'm diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. Thank you. <laughs> that was my second question. To, can I introduce your neurotype? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even say that, but welcome to the Non-Nevertoke Art Students podcast. Because um, I, I forgot to say that in the beginning. Doesn't matter. <laughs> we'll just continue. So, um, yeah, can you do? You, can you tell us about, or can you tell me, because I'm a friend of you, about um, how you got diagnosed in the first place? Um, right. So, um, since borderline is a personality disorder, um, you can't get diagnosed if you're under 18. Mm. Um, and I was, I think, 22. Yeah, I got diagnosed about a year ago, a bit more. Um, yeah. It's, yeah, I think for me, initially, it was a bit of a shock. Mm. It made a lot of sense. I just didn't want to hear it. Um... But yeah, it was it was quite straightforward for me actually. It was like the, the first time I got to go to like um a mental health place here and they were just like, here's the answer. That was pretty much it. <laughs> and you said you couldn't get diagnosed before eighteen, which I, I know, but maybe explain um, why that is. I guess the the thing with personality disorders is that the way they manifest themselves is through behaviors. So you can get treatment before 18. And I've seen people also like get treatment for like certain problems, but the the label, the diagnosis borderline isn't really given to people under 18 because it's assumed that like your, your character, your personality hasn't like fully formed until then. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's the, that's the reason. How do you feel about that? Um, I don't know when I when I look back at myself, I think oh, a lot of it was very clear. Mm. Like when I look back at who I was when I was fourteen or fifteen, I feel like I already fit most of the diagnostic criteria. So, in that sense, I think it would be nice if it. I mean, even if there was like another diagnosis, but then for younger kids. Yeah, because right now there's not really a younger like alternative, is there? Because I, I, I don't know. I feel like it's a bit weird to. It's a bit late if you struggle with this all yeah. your life to only get this diagnosis. Because I mean, I can imagine it also helps you. I don't know how it helped you. Yeah, I mean, from... to be fair, before um, I I once got diagnosed with um, cyclothemia, which is an uh, which is a mood disorder. Mm-hmm. Um. So what I got from from that therapy also also helped, but it didn't really give you the tools. Yeah, no, it was like it, it was useful help. It just wasn't the problem. Yeah, I mean, which is it's it's fair because I mean, if you, these diagnoses are literally there to give you the right help. Also. Yeah, exactly. So it also makes sense that it doesn't give you. I mean, probably it was the right. It was the right help. direction. Like yeah. it was the right. I mean, it's also I think people tend to forget that like disorders aren't always that clear like at least with borderline it's really it's a cluster and some things can be a part of who you are and some things aren't and i think there's so much like overlap with other disorders um 
that it's really not like oh you have this one diagnosis and it's like this really stern thing it's not like breaking a leg yeah i think it's really like when it comes to yeah when it comes to mental illness and like neurotypes like it's it's clusters yeah and they're just trying to find like the shoe that fits best yeah yeah it's complicated to have a how do you say this it's complicated to put something like a to really dissect everything i yeah. think that happened to me as well that i got my diagnosis for dyslexia when i was very young and then my adhd came in way later also probably because a lot of the for, for example i already got extra time on my test and you know because yeah. so it also already i already got a lot of these kind of goodies <laughs> i call them sometimes <laughs> that you get like extra things because you have a certain way of working or a certain mindset i don't know and um and I really got a lot of those that also kind of apply for ADHD in school systems. So it wasn't necessarily um, the, like a problem. Like it was still a problem to for understanding myself, obviously, but it's different. Yeah. Um, I guess when you already have some kind of help that is yeah, working out for you. And then you also kind of stop looking for something. Exactly. Like I think, you, yeah. yeah, in that sense, it's kind of difficult, right? Because I feel like... When you have that diagnosis initially, like I know that for me it was like usually I kinda like compare it to, to coming out. Um I feel like I had this phase when I had just come out where like for half a year I had to wear anything that had a rainbow on it all the time and everyone had to know and that was who I was. And I feel like I kinda had the same with like figuring out that I had borderline mm-hmm. where I was like, Oh, people with borderline do this, people with borderline do this. And I think that makes sense, but I also think, I don't know, I think it would be sometimes better to just look at people as people. Yeah. Especially, like, in the healthcare system, and I get that, like, there's a reason why you need a diagnosis and blah, blah, blah. But I think sometimes, for some people, like, it would really help to just be able to come there as a person. Yeah, I think it's also, I think I had this, um, I'm not sure if I had that with ADHD. I think so, in a way. Because you start recognizing things in retrospect, you know. I, f- I think I had this also with a lot of, uh, with especially with things that went on all your life. I mean, when I got uh, PTSD, it was a clear reason. It was just like yeah. an event. So you don't have this whole life to look back on and say, oh, how this did, did this develop? Because things with ADHD, I look back on my life and I was like, oh, I was really harsh on myself and it wasn't necessary or it wasn't at least... Uh, maybe it was necessary in my head, but it wasn't really uh, constructive in any way. Yeah. Um, but of course, you kind of get obsessed with it, and you kind of <laughs> you kind of finally feel this acceptance of the side of yourself. And I think it's also kind of uh, like a delayed exception yeah, in a way I that comes so. out for like half a year or a year, <laughs> and then I yeah I I kind of understand how this might. And it's also what is expected from you. I think when you get this diagnosis in the beginning, you feel like you should tell anyone in the be- right at the moment. Like when you meet them, you're like, oh, by the way, <laughs> ADHD, yeah. or I have PTSD, or I have whatever you have. Yeah, I don't know how you feel about that, but I, I don't know. It's it's one <laughs> of these things where you, you're like, I have to tell people because it makes me different right now. I don't even bother. Like No, I think for me, it was like, the first 48 hours were probably some of the worst in my life yeah like I just crashed completely like I got the diagnosis um I walked to the supermarket I cried in the cereal aisle (laughs) (laughs) oh my god there's something really tragic (laughs) Lana Doreish about that (laughs) and then I bought my favorite cereal and then for like the next 24 hours I was just crying bawling my eyes out with like little cereal breaks in between <laughs> like a full-on bridget jones moment a full-on bridget jones moment um and i was really scared i was really scared to tell people i was really scared to tell my mom at first what are you afraid of um i think kind of the stigma because i think in the back of my head i had this idea that like having borderline meant that i was a bad person and I was really scared that people would would leave, which which makes sense when you know like about the about the diagnostic and about like the behavior that comes with it, because I have a really big fear of abandonment. <laughs> but yeah. to me, it was like the most 
terrifying thing. Like, I called the person I was seeing at the time and I was like, you know, if, if, if you don't want to see me anymore, now that you know this, like, horrible thing about me, that's okay. <laughs> oh, my God. Which is not okay, by the way. It's not okay to be like... No. Because it doesn't change anything about you, necessarily. It just changed something about your perception of you. Yeah. yeah. And how did he, he respond or she? Um... They were fine with it. They yeah. were like, I already know you. Like, it's, it's okay. And I think for me, that was really like, it took some time for me to, to understand that who I am hasn't changed. I think it's just like, especially over the last year, given me so much more, also just vocabulary to understand what's been happening, what I've been going through, but also to just learn how to cope better. Mm. Um, yeah. But but in the beginning, and I think it's still sometimes like when I meet new people, it's always a bit like yeah. By the way, <laughs> so how, can you kind of explain what your um, because I mean these diagnoses are different for everybody. Kind of what part is for you belongs to borderline? Um, so I think for me, um, the way it's it has expressed itself most is just by struggling with emotion regulation, like um, some. I think some people stopped calling it borderline personality disorder and started calling it emotion regulation disorder. Yeah. Um, because there's such a stigma around borderline. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think that's always been like the, the clearest thing for me where I can get really, really angry, but I can also get like, like, it's like, I don't know. It just feels like I experience everything kind of like, as if like all my emotions were always on like speaker and there's no way for me to turn it off the only way to like get out of it is if i get too emotional my body will just start dissociating and i will start not feeling it physically anymore mm -hmm. and that was a really big problem for me for a long time because i just yeah i would always either be stuck in this like really like highly emotional state or i would kind of like shoot over it and just not be there anymore um so yeah and i think now over the last years it's been like mostly a lot of dissociation a lot of like struggling with interpersonal relationships because i think sometimes what i how i behave can seem really irrational which which makes a lot of sense to me in hindsight <laughs> um but it's exactly like those things like i have a really really strong fear of abandonment um i think for a really long time, well, still, there's always this worry that, like, if people find out who I really am, um, they're just gonna hate me and leave. And so I think that just makes interpersonal relationships really stressful. Um, and for me, that means that I have to focus a lot on very clear communication with people. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I know how this kind of what helped you. I mean, what helped you? What helps you to get out of dissociation? Um, Can you say that? Yeah, sure. Um, so what I've started doing a lot is um, if it's not that strong, or even if I'm just being like very emotional, I usually start rubbing my arms um, and just kind of caressing them. Um, and I like it because it's something that you can do quite subtle. But it's also just a way of like, like I think for me, it's not only a way to like physically feel my body again, but it also just like, it's it's an act of caring physically. And I find that easier sometimes than caring mentally for myself. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think like self-love has always been like a super complicated thing for me. Um, but I think I've been really good at finding these like habits. <laughs> yeah, that work for you. Yeah, yeah I understand. Is that then also, because I mean, you mentioned that self-love is, is hard for you and I can imagine that people listen to this and, you know, <clears throat> a lot of people with a lot of different diagnoses might feel, you know, similar to this. Because yeah. Can you maybe, does it also partly connect to, because you already mentioned the stigma a bit and, and we, we talked before also about the stigma, does this also connect to this kind of? I think I so. Think, I, I mean, think, I think I can say it's a negative stigma almost. That, yeah, that, definitely. Yeah. Um, and I also think that like, I don't know, one of the criteria to get diagnosed is um, a lack of sense of self. 
So for me, for a really long time, it was just really difficult to love me because I didn't know who I was. Mm-hmm. Like, I had no, like, if someone, like, you know those horrible games where someone's like, okay, say your name and, like, add something about you. Mm-hmm. And I just did that and I just wouldn't know. Like, yeah. I was just like, I don't know who I am. Like, <laughs> I'm just doing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so for me, it was really complicated and it was always really frustrating because I feel like when you talk to people, they're just like, no, you just got to love yourself more. Yeah. And I was like, I... I wish I could but I just don't know how yeah there's no switch for that is there no and it's also like like I've literally googled because for a while I really wanted to yeah I just didn't know practically <laughs> how it works because people are always like oh yeah like like just love yourself more and it's like well it's not I that mean easy. it's not that easy yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's the first step and I think that way like I kind of learned for me what what works for me is a lot just like working with habits be it like no, I don't work after a certain time anymore. But it's also, I don't know, I, I read <laughs> yeah. this quote somewhere, I think, about how loving yourself means keeping promises to yourself. And I think that made a lot of sense to me. And that's kind of what I what I go with. And that makes more sense. Yeah, it's a very practical way of, of, of thinking about this, huh? In a, in a way. Yeah. So you, you say you don't work certain past a certain time. I think it's good kind of hook to go yeah. further into considering this is an art student <laughs> and our students necessarily I mean there's this hype of course about working like pulling on eiders working until you yeah. like, die until you die yeah. <laughs> and uh, how do you how do you can kind of cope because I mean you're studying at Design Academy Eindhoven yes is there anything like how do, do they respond like is there is that difficult to kind of hold on to um the way I experienced it, especially in my first year, um, it was incredibly stressful and was also very much something that was expected from us. Mm-hmm. Like there was definitely an expectation to work every day, to work if you're tired. Um, and obviously, like a lot of these things were never explicitly said, like nobody ever went work until you burn out. But um, I think there were things that people said, like I remember a teacher telling us that if we feel sick, if we feel tired, we should continue working because you make your best work when you're exhausted. Um, this is me making a weird face, by the way. <laughs> this is me being very, disappro- this is my disapproval face for people who listen to this podcast. Yeah, and I think in that way, like nobody ever had to explicitly say it. And it's also like, right, like it's the school deciding that it's like a fair amount to give people um, I don't know, in the first year we had two projects a day on three days and then one project on Friday. So we would have seven projects a day, um, a week, not a day, a week. Yeah. Which just in the end practically meant you had to work all the time. Yeah. And then there was this expectation to always be available. Um, Still a thing where I think a lot of the time, like, we don't really get our schedules in advance um and for me for a really long time that meant that it was really difficult to plan doctor's appointments therapy was like really difficult because i would have to cancel because i would have to be like oh i'm really sorry last week our class was from two till three this week it's from 11 till 12 i thought i could make it this time um and then it kind of felt like you i I had to make this choice at a lot of points to be like okay either i'm gonna miss this class or i'm gonna miss therapy and i think yeah, that's literally choosing between caring for yourself and educating yourself. I mean, yeah. that's, and that, that's what the society teaches you is that it's also caring for yourself. Yeah. So that's really, I, I think I felt also very split in the first year about, because uh, I felt like I had a double life being in therapy and having this uh, school life. And then I had to kind of do one thing and then I think I even did it uh, did it for a while that I went on my break. I went oh into God, therapy yeah. and then or after my class, right after my class or that I had to leave a little bit early to make it to therapy. And I felt really weird about that. And then yeah. I kind of I think I did it in my break. Yeah. And then I got back to school Jesus. and then I was like, yeah, I'm great. <laughs> <laughs> Who needs lunch? Um, no, I think it's really just like, I mean, it is such a personal thing. Right. And yeah. Uh, I study design because it's it's what I wanted to um, and because I have a, a lot of love for it. But then I feel like schools kind of expect you to be completely involved with it. 
and at least for us that was a very big thing where so many people I know like it's it's almost this like little cult where it's all your friends it's where you spend all your time all your hobbies are related to it um my first year I easily spent like a day from nine till nine just in school and then in the evening I would come home and sleep yeah and then corona obviously turned that around yeah <laughs> but in that sense yeah like I don't know it's it's really easy like you you I think the thing for us was that like we would be told to take breaks and we would be told to take care of ourselves but nobody ever took care of making it possible yeah I do recognize that in a way yeah. I mean I think it they always told me like yeah you should take a break or I, um i think even in my last year this happened where i was like um teacher said oh yeah you should take some rest but the deadline is in two days or, <laughs> yeah. and uh yeah yeah no i do and i don't think they realize they do this you know no. it's, it's like i don't think they realize they always like yeah you should take care of yourself go outside for walks do some yoga have some sleep <laughs> do some yoga. uh yeah that's always the first thing right do some <laughs> yoga it will fix your mental state um which in 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 a certain way it will probably help but it's not the solution for everybody no it's not, it's not the solution and i feel like at that point like especially for me like i know that for me i'm i'm very stress sensitive and for me i know that like in the first year my mental health just went down downhill yeah downhill just like for a full year like you could just you could just see how like with time because i didn't only have school i had to work on the side because art school is expensive yeah hella expensive <laughs> hella expensive <laughs> um and that was a lot of stress but then also just the stress of like not knowing whether i would be able to pay tuition next year um all of these things that kind of like add on top of each other yeah um were just i think too much for me and then yeah i i, I made it through first year luckily barely <laughs> um but at what cost but at what cost yeah and then i did i think the first two or three months of second year and then i just i, I couldn't yeah i was because yeah you are now in your second year still yeah and um, your kind I, of your timeline is um okay so i did my first year i did three months of the second year and then i took three months off because i wasn't doing very well and then i came back to school yeah so i basically um yeah which which was exactly what i needed and now um that i'm back to school i'm allowed to do 20 ects instead of 30 every semester mm -hmm. so i get to do it a bit slower which has helped me a lot because it just means i have time to to cope with things because i think with with borderline with having these like way stronger reactions way stronger emotions yeah i also just need more rest yeah um which is something i tend to ignore um but and why is that do you think why do you ignore that i think for a really long time i just tried to push through it i yeah. was like it's fine if i just work harder and then i had yeah. this moment three months ago where i realized that if i push too hard it, it doesn't work endlessly like there there is a wall mm -hmm. and hitting that wall was absolutely terrifying so I think I came back from that like three month break with a lot more respect for my own boundaries. Um, but yeah, so that that does mean that like, I don't know, I have like these certain like golden rules where I try not to see anyone on Sundays and not do anything. So if I need a day to just lie in bed, to just kind of like cope with every, all the all the emotions, everything that happened the week before that I have that space. <laughs> so, that almost sounds very Christian, which is kind of funny. <laughs> very like the other way around, which is not true. <laughs> but it's just very funny. It just came in randomly. Yeah. That's, maybe they were right after all. Maybe. No, I think it's so important to have time to just generally rest and to rest without guilt. Yeah. Because I feel like so many people I know will, will take a break, but then will feel horrible about it afterwards. And I feel like then you never really get the rest and relaxation that you need. So to just be able to have one day a week where you're like, okay, maybe today I will watch a season of Friends and that's fine. And how do you feel about, because I think, I mean, we talked about um, a little bit about panic attacks and so yeah. on before. And, and um something you also wanted to discuss i mean we kind of rolling into it now slowly is this kind of how high and low functioning yeah 
and maybe you want to elaborate on that. Sure. Um, I think for me, like, it's also like, I mean, what I, what I kind of talked about with like hitting a wall for me was really, um, so when I was younger, I would have a lot of panic attacks. The older I get, um, the less I panic, the more I dissociate. So it's really just that like this emotion has kind of, for me, just like found another outlet. Um, and then with all the stress that was happening with like school, I think in my second year in the first three months, it got to a point where um, I would dissociate so frequently that I would have no recollection of days. Because um, it's quite common to not remember after you dissociate mm -hmm. because you're not fully in your body. So I would literally just like, I don't know, I would cycle home and one time I got my nails done and I lost my hat and I got home and I didn't have my hat anymore. And I couldn't remember where I had been in like the last hour. And it was so unsettling. So it just kind of kept on building up. And then after a while, I started getting panic attacks again. Um, first to like a point where like, I would cry whenever I was cycling to school. I would just cry a lot, but I could still cope with it. And then eventually it got to a point where um, I, hyperventilated a lot mm -hmm. yeah. in general the last two years um, but that means that since my breathing is shorter my chest tends to hurt a lot and it got to a point where my chest was hurting so bad that I wasn't able to sleep at night Shit, yeah. so I think there was this point like before I quit school there was this point where I hadn't slept in two days <laughs> yeah and then you're also cycling like that is like a that's... it doesn't help with the panic no <laughs> That's really that puts no, itself in motion. I, I hadn't slept in two days. I wasn't able to leave the house anymore. Um, other people literally had to do groceries for me because I was so scared. Like yeah. I just I couldn't go. Like like the the best thing that would happen would be that my boyfriend would basically take me on a walk to the grocery store. Yeah. And would just hold me, and I would still cry. Yeah. And then I would just have to like get through it, and it would be okay because I knew I wasn't alone. But I couldn't go there on my own anymore. Yeah. And. And then I think what triggered like for me just like completely derailing was finding out that people in my class were throwing a party um and then like with already not being able to breathe already being in this like constant pain that was I think like kind of the last thing where everything just collapsed and suddenly I was just like I can't anymore I, I wasn't able to leave my bed anymore. And it's very small things for people from the outside, right? Because something like losing your hat doesn't sound like a big deal it really when doesn't. you put it down <laughs> on the paper or not remembering where you have been. I think a lot of people might hear that and think, well, I mean, I also didn't, I also sometimes forget what I've done. Or, you know, yeah. sometimes you walk from the kitchen to the living room and you're like, oh, what was I going to get? I forgot. But it's not that right it's, no, it's, it's that. like it's how more often that happens how more you have this feeling i think we talked about that also that i also recognize a little bit that you feel like you're losing your mind yeah really and i think for me it's also like i've always had a really strong memory like i've always been able to like mm -hmm. i never lost anything when i was younger because i would always be able to be like like to retrace, retrace your steps everything um which i think is also why i generally tend to live in such messy spaces because i know where things are and that was really like it wasn't just forgetting it felt like i had a blackout like there was no access to anything like yeah. i couldn't even retrace anymore because it was just all gone um and yeah i think that's also like what i what i told my friends it felt like blacking out but without drinking and that was quite terrible. Yeah, and then you also don't know the reason, right? You don't know what happened. Yeah, because I then... didn't feel panicked. Like, if no. I had felt panicked, I, I would have understood. Yeah. But it was just randomly. Yeah. It felt like a, a cute little day where I was doing a bit of self-care. and <laughs> You were doing what you were taught, man. <laughs> Love yourself. I'm going to do my nails. That's what you taught me. <laughs> no, but I understand, I, I understand that feeling that it's not, it's not similar, you know? It's something beyond that and yeah. it kind of makes you 
not trust yourself or your judgment or your you know that that because that could have meant that you could have done anything really and you don't know yeah exactly. and that's scary like that's super scary because you know like you what if i think the, the the thing that really scared me about it was just the thought of like what if something happens and i won't be able to remember and i mean that's generally like with dissociating and something that i've been really worried about um if i badly dissociate I tend to lose the ability to talk. Um, and I've had it before where I was just like, um, I had this one really bad dissociative episode where I started pulling out my hair and I was just crying. And I don't remember anything of this. So it's really just like recollection from other people. Mm -hmm. um, but I was crying and I started pulling out my hair and apparently I was so panicked that I fainted a couple times yeah so people had to like slap me back into being there and for a couple hours i didn't talk like at all like i wasn't verbally engaging with people anymore yeah um and my eyes were open and i was still like, like you were present yeah, in like, a way like, according yeah. to the friend that was <laughs> luckily taking care of me in that moment like from what he's saying i wasn't there like yeah. It was a person was there, but it wasn't me. Um, and that was quite terrifying because it was really just luck that he was there in that moment. Yeah. And I had this moment where I was like, if this ever happens to me on the street. Yeah, that and that makes you panic even more, I feel like. Yeah, because nobody like, knows. Right? I think for, for me that when I got this stress syndrome, I, I got, it got worse because it was so randomized. I didn't know where my triggers were. Exactly, so yeah. Like, you it, it are, could be anything. It could be anything. And you're walking down the street, suddenly you have it. And it makes it even worse. Because at one point, you're not even only afraid of the things that happened in the past. But you're also afraid of what is going to come. Yeah. Like and that was also for me because... That's also, I, I don't have this, right? I don't have the dissociation, but I can understand a part of it um, in a sense of when I got these panic attacks, I felt like I was completely, um, I couldn't I couldn't do anything myself in my head. Yeah, so no. that would mean that I would sit next, <laughs> sit next to my bicycle, which was perfectly fine. And I was like hyperventilating or crying or anything. And I was calling, you know, my parents, I think mainly my parents, sometimes my sister, my friends or something. And they really had to come and pick me up or coach me through it or like really like stay on the phone, which is very demanding on other people's lives, which I also felt bad about. But then there's also something, yeah, you can't really do anything about it. So you have to do that. And physically, I was probably able to move. But I really, I was like, just... not able to do anything, which is very weird that your head can take it kind of kind of this turn on you yeah. in a way and i think then it's quite like terrifying to have to explain it to other people yeah because you feel like you're going crazy it's yeah. obviously not a lot like I'm, I'm i'm very aware that going to the grocery store isn't terrifying yeah um. <laughs> <laughs> let us clarify this for you we understand <laughs> but in that moment it was the scariest thing like yeah. leaving my house was absolutely like the the worst, I just wasn't able to. I, yeah. I didn't see my friends anymore. Um, yeah. Because I just couldn't leave. Yeah. And I think then it's kind of like this brutal thing where you just have to trust that other people will trust you and you'll say, "I can't do this thing right now." Yeah. Even which you know, which I learned that they usually did can do. Yeah, I think a lot of people are actually really good at yeah accepting how like like that what you say about how you feel is how you feel yeah yeah i think i'm usually a lot more critical of how i feel <laughs> yeah than other i think this are. happens a lot though but i also understand like we also really talked a little bit about this this is something i really wanted to touch in is like uh, when you represent something like a borderline um, um in a bad like when it's kind of standing in bad daylight, you would say yeah. that's good. Like if it's like underrepresented in media in a, I mean, nuanced and complete way, you also feel like this is the image that people have of you, which is of course not true. You like your friends still see you as Katha. Yeah. And but that that doesn't go like that doesn't even cross <laughs> your mind in these moments. I think no, it really doesn't. And I mean, I do think like there definitely are bad traits that come with it. Yeah. And there are toxic behaviors that come with it. Um. But you can learn 
to deal with those like yeah. as a person yourself you can learn to kind of resist it and you can learn to trust people more and in that sense I think it just takes time and I'm, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have friends that took that time and invested the time and made sure that like I knew that they loved me yeah. for who I am um, but I think there's so much focus on all of these negative traits that there's very little talk about positive traits and like for example something that I think is great about um, people with PPD is that obviously like there's more anger but there's also more empathy um, there's way deeper empathy um, from what I've heard they're a lot better with pets they're supposed to be a lot better with children yeah um, but it's also just like I don't know I've met people in like the art community that have BPD that that have turned it into this like really kind of like beautiful thing that they're working with because they get so much stimulation and so much input um i think that's also a lot of these kind of behavior things right it's also kind of the system that you're in yeah that kind of brings out bad or good trades in a way i think so and yeah definitely like for me like with kind of changing who i mean with, with moving to the netherlands and being around other people i think a lot of those like bad traits also kind of stopped for me because mm -hmm. like for me at least right so um <laughs> i think a thing that's like very difficult to understand if you don't have ppd is the whole concept of um i think it's called something like frantic efforts to avoid abandonment and that doesn't have to be real abandonment that can be imagined abandonment so in my head when someone doesn't reply to my text that's because they hate me and I know that that's not a very logical conclusion, but I feel like I've had these moments where I have friends that like respond every like two days, which is perfectly fine. But in the beginning when I wasn't aware of that and I wasn't used to that and I was really scared, I would keep quiet for a while and then eventually lash out. Cause it was like, you hate me, you're leaving me. Why are you leaving me? Yeah. And I think if you don't know where it comes from, that is, absolutely terrifying that is very clearly absolutely terrifying and mm -hmm. i think also in those moments i think everyone has the tendency to react to that in a way of being like no like what the fuck yeah i mean it's terrifying for both sides i think definitely like that's yeah. what i think like because i think like obviously like this feel of like people are leaving you is, is, is scary but i think it's also like it comes so randomly for other people that it can be super difficult to react to how would you say would you have like some mm, maybe i'm asking too much for you but uh, <laughs> would you have some kind of um things that worked for you that people said or or didn't say i think what helps me a lot is um especially when i'm super emotional is when people manage to react kind of calm which i know is very difficult sometimes um and i think the easiest thing has been and this is like I think normally when I'm angry at people, it's because I feel abandoned. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of the time I don't manage to say that out loud. Um, but I think a lot of like, like I think the way my boyfriend usually handles it is if I'm suddenly mad for no reason, he usually first tries to like reestablish that he's not leaving, that he still loves me very much. <laughs> <laughs> the basics. <you> know. <laughs> the, the basics. And then it's more like, us against the problem and not him against me yeah and that has really helped and i think in that way like communication can change so much establishing like honest communication making sure that i i try to do that a lot where i try to push myself to say the things that i don't want to say because i'm scared of how people will react mm -hmm. and i think a lot of the times those are the things that you really have to say because if you're just sitting there and you're being mad because you think someone's leaving or someone secretly hates you and sometimes it's really like abstruse things like I, I've genuinely had moments where someone slightly turned and I was like oh ah, you hate me <laughs> I mean I'm laughing now no, because, because it, it is it's, it's so comical <laughs> and it's so stupid because in those moments you're sitting there and if I look at it logically I can be like, this doesn't make sense. This yeah, or in retrospect or something. Yeah. yeah. But then... Something snapped, yeah. When you're in that moment emotionally, it's like that protocol just runs through. Yeah. And it's like, 
unstoppable for me and it's, it's it's getting better with time and with being like aware of it i mean yeah these things this is also kind of the this is why i was asking in the beginning like isn't it difficult to have a diagnosis only at 18 because i imagine that if you start working on this way earlier on that it's less of a you I, know what do you say run like you run your protocol like you yeah. just press play and s- stuff gets rolling like it's I easier to change that when you're younger i guess generally think that i was a very difficult person to be around as a teenager um is that difficult for you to say i think i've gotten okay with it i had a really long conversation with well with my therapist about it actually because for a really long time i felt very guilty for it yeah um and i was like well i was this really bad person so how do I know I'm not this person anymore? Like, yeah. And I think she kind of reestablished the idea that you can do bad things without being a terrible person. Nobody really is a terrible person. Most people are decent people that do bad things. <laughs> <And> <laughs> so I think for me that that really helped. And also to accept that, like, I'm not 15 anymore. And I mean, I think a lot of people whether it's your like your diagnosis or your disorder or not did things that are incredibly stupid when they're young also communication wise and they're not maybe as more as loud or as present or as different as others but i mean sometimes i mean you all learn and you can't learn without it being painful or without it being uh, uncomfortable so i guess that's also the process of being a teenager (laughs) I mean, I can't remember when I when I felt heartbreak when I was super young. Oh. I went like I felt like I was kind of I don't know, like I was just collapsing on the inside. You know, yeah. and the older you get, the better you deal with these emotions. Also, so I guess this also works in different ways. You know, and I think everybody goes through this in a way. But I understand it if you look back and you feel like you could have handled things differently and and then of course you feel this way and that's also very logical kind of fits the disorder to kind of internalize it yeah yeah know? i think i think that fits was the frame for me to, yeah to kind of think well obviously this happened because this was my <clears throat> whew, my voice sorry because this was my fault because i was never a good enough person yeah and i think the more I work with the disorder, the more I kind of learn to like find out what these like core thoughts are because it really is like something that you can find in yeah your thoughts, your behaviors, and um yeah, what I really wanted to ask still, mm-hmm. and I think I'm gonna drop it in now so we can elaborate a little bit on it is when you did you tell the academy that you had like you got diagnosed during your studies i got diagnosed during my studies and i think i didn't at first because i didn't want them to know why not because i was worried about how they would react and like in hindsight i don't know why (laughs) i mean i can understand why i mean this study i mean is also very much about your personal yeah your life is very interwoven yeah it was really scary but i think i also like i think for a really long time, I was very harsh to myself, and I was like, I don't want like any any pity. And hmm. then eventually, I got to this point where where I talked to them about it, and they were actually quite helpful within like the frame of what they could do. Mm-hmm. But in that situation, it was just I got to to write an email to my teachers that said, "Hi, I have this thing." And it means that sometimes I struggle and I might miss school because of going to therapy. And I hope you like understand that that doesn't mean that I don't want to be in school. Um, and I think in most of the cases, that was very fine. Um, no teacher has ever really like reached out to me about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that one teacher this semester actually sent me an email to ask if there's anything she can do. That's very nice. Yeah, it really touched me. And um, yeah, I... I, I I didn't know how to respond because I was like, no one's ever asked that before. Yeah. Um, but it really meant a lot to me just to have someone, um, yeah, just say, well, well you know yeah. what's what's best for you. So if there's anything I can do to make it easier, just tell me. Yeah. It also opens up. Eh? It opens up if they're because it's very difficult to say, hey, listen, you're doing this, but that actually doesn't really help me. It would be better for me if you would say. 
blah 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 i mean i think it's this is with all assumptions in society that it's just easier when there's space that you don't have to bring it up because i don't know i was talking with uh niels about it in uh, the one like the podcast I recorded before that there's never a good moment to to talk about the diagnosis yeah and I think also now with like I don't know with all this like talk about like cancelling and stuff like I think sometimes people are really worried when you speak out and it's kind of like scary to have someone else come to you and say hey you, you did this thing and maybe it would be nicer if you could do it a different way yeah Um. but I think it's it's so important to to have these conversations and to to make sure that other people know you're open to having them because it's already so terrifying to kind of exist within the system that just really isn't made for you yeah and then on top of that to like have to take all the energy to consistently like i had to reach out to people so many times just to to get somewhere and that's exhausting and you already don't have the energy and then on top of that you have to be like okay but i really need to need to push for this i need to make sure this is done um so you're kind of also responsible for your well-being i think that's something i also experienced and also felt and also it it makes you grow pretty fast is that you're really responsible for your own well-being and you realize that very early on yeah like you're like no one's gonna look out for me or this part of me so i have to do that so i have to actively reach out to people tell them about it i also felt like okay you have to know this because otherwise i'm not playing a fair game which is i think the same with me dating where i was like i need to tell you something you know (laughs) oh god yeah (sighs) i feel that where you're like so when do i tell you (laughs) oh this was the worst i experimented with it i told them right at the beginning told them later on i like it's you there's no i even had one person and i wasn't even dating wise it was just like a context not even french friendship and they got really 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 upset because i didn't tell them earlier and i was like i didn't know i was and in the beginning i felt like oh maybe i should have and maybe i and then i was realizing no it's something that is mine and you don't need to know if i don't want to tell you because it's really personal but it, it there's just no right moment like there no one's gonna something. sit down on a date and be like so what do you have how do you differ from the system <laughs> and then you go like well actually i'm glad you asked <laughs> yeah no it's it's terrifying you know that well i think that the first half year after i was diagnosed i think i worked a lot with it in my art but i didn't want to publicly talk about it um so i didn't i only told my family i told my close friends but nobody else knew yeah and then I started talking on my Instagram about it, but I didn't say what it was. So mm-hmm. I just used the word diagnosis because I made a self-portrait that was kind of around this whole like process of, of being diagnosed. Um, and how did that work out for you? Like, how did that make you feel? For me, it was really, I think for me, like, I think I've always like used art to process my emotions. Mm. So I think for me, it's been like really good also because drawing is like meditative almost for me. So it really, really helps me with just being, yeah, more and more calm, feeling more in control. Um, and it's still like, it's it's a self-portrait I hold very close. Because <laughs> um, it just, it was based on two pictures I took, one on like um, a day in December where I just felt really suicidal and just really, done and so down and i was like okay cool here we here we go again and then another picture that i had taken on myself the day after i've been diagnosed that really i think for me was this moment where i was like genuinely mourning just like the state of not knowing yeah um but people got mad at me for not wanting to tell them what i was diagnosed with yeah <laughs> and it's really terrifying because it's kind of like like also because people were like well yeah but you you talked about it on instagram and i was like yeah but i i get to decide what i want to talk about and what i don't want to talk about it if i yeah. say here's the line then that's where the line is and i think especially with like mental health like it is a very like delicate subject yeah curiosity gets the best of use like for people sometimes and it's not really it's just 
it's difficult to deal with that. I feel like in my graduation project, I also dealt with that quite strongly where they were like, yeah, we really want to see names or labels. And I also felt a bit weird about that because the whole project was about going beyond those labels. So it didn't make sense to me, but it's, um, it's just curiosity. I also don't really blame them for no. wanting that. I understand that if you want to, if you hear someone talk that you're like, um, so I'm curious to hear what this those two diagnoses were and maybe <laughs> and you start speculating but the whole idea is that this can literally be anyone and that those experiences or those feelings kind of you know fit with a lot of people uh but I understand that people just want to know because they're curious I mean we have reality shows for a reason and yeah, life no, I mean definitely. it's like that's also why these reality stars always feel so um, taken advantage of like like when you see these interviews and they're like yeah I can't deal with social media and then they're like but that's your job and they're like yeah but I'm a human and then, <laughs> I mean it, I mean yeah true it's their job and yeah true they want to put their life out there but it's I understand that that line is very complicated there, there is a there is a line definitely and I think it's also like for me it was like bit by bit like there were things I wanted to talk about and there were things that I wasn't ready to talk about or yeah. just things that I didn't want to share out of self-preservation. I yeah. think a lot of the things that I can now talk about very openly while I was processing them, I wasn't ready because it's from very my painful experience, to talk about these things. Also yeah. Sometimes. And from my experience, the more open I've been about also like BPD on social media, the more I've also gotten messages around, well, you know, you're only like, Mental illness isn't real. Oh, um, really? Yeah. If you set your mind to it. Oh yeah. If you set your mind to it, that's <laughs> then you, like you can fix yourself. Thank you, you for your yourself. useless fucking advice. <laughs> so I think like it was also like sometimes it's like okay, am I like I will only post about it if I'm ready to hear those kind of things. Yeah. To be like okay. I never post about it. I feel I feel, you are. I mean, you are way like uh, in like. Yeah, I would not. I think it just it, it matters. <laughs> I'm a baby when it comes to these <laughs> things. I'm like, I don't want to hear about that. I don't want to no. be you beat. But that's perfectly yeah. fine. That's that. I think it's really just like what you can do. And I think for me, it's really important that people learn more about it and that people are more informed about it. And that's yeah. just yeah, because it's something that really helped me. Like, there's this huge online community around BPD, and it's super helpful. There's also like. Yeah, there's a bunch of like Dutch accounts as well. And it, it just really helped me to see other people experience it because you feel so alone. Yeah, I, I, that's also what my project was about in the first place. And I mean, that's also what this podcast does, of course, is that you just want to know more people that have similar experiences and you feel quite alone with it. I just never really had the... Um, I'm a weird person. When something happens, <laughs> I just kind of go inward and like, I don't want to be alone, which is not helpful because then you're like, I feel so alone. And then you're like, then you should go talk to people. You're like, I don't want to talk to people. And uh, I'm, a, I'm really a cat. Uh, I'm a like, personification <laughs> of a cat. But uh, yeah, no, that happens a lot. And I think that's sometimes a little bit tough to to work through but i know that it helps me and so do things like doing these podcasts and like talking about it with people really helps for me and doing it more in an outsider perspective so being the host and like talking to people yeah. and then slowly doing like little bits of information about myself works better for me that's like a comfort zone that i'm in right that's now good. and and i think for me that works very well i also had a difficulty calling myself neurodiverse for a while where it was like uh, I'm not sure if I belong, you know? <laughs> I mean, I, I definitely had that moment where I, like, Googled it, where I was like, am I in Rodebirds? Like, is this even a label I'm, like, allowed to have? Yeah. Imposter like, syndrome kind of thing. Yeah, I was just like, this, 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 how, what? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's weird. And it also, because I don't necessarily feel like... Um, I managed to escape certain things in the system really well. I think that's also why a lot of neurodiverse people end up in art academy because that's a little bit more free. Yeah. Also, it's very demanding, so it's not, it's kind of it's kind of both. It's like it's not necessarily really good for you because a lot of neurodiverse people are very <laughs> sensitive. So, like the amount of workload yeah. and intense like co like um, social life doesn't necessarily work, but the freedom the and. Freedom. Is it, it does work for a lot of people because there isn't really a system to 
But then there is a system. I don't know. It's confusing, but it doesn't have the classical school system, so that yeah, and I think from that is, I think, why it draws a lot of neurodiverse people in. Definitely, definitely, like the freedom, being able to go with your own fascinations, like it's amazing. Like that's why I wanted to do design because I was like, I don't want to choose a thing. I want to be able to wake up tomorrow and say I want to do a project about snails, (laughs) and be able to do that. And I studied engineering before that, and you can't do that in engineering. No. Um. So yeah, no, definitely. I think, yeah, what's what I really struggled with with calling myself neurodiverse is just I don't know what it's like to be neurotypical. Yeah. So I always assumed that everyone experiences life the same way I do. Yeah. And I think for me that was like this huge disillusionment where I was like, wait, we're not all like breaking down under the shower. <laughs> I thought this was a meme, y'all, crying in the shower. I was like, you sure? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I understand that. I was so confused. I was just like, what do you mean? Like, (laughs) Yeah. It is confusing because I think a lot of people that listen to this podcast and follow the platform also feel like you have been away. Like, it's also kind of a weird question, right? To ask you, how is it to have borderline, which you can't really tell yeah. me because you you know it from a perspective <laughs> from a non like neurotypical person that tells you hey you're different this and this and this side which obviously is weird because you experienced life i mean the only reason that you know you have something is because you somehow at, at one point hit a wall yeah at some point um and that's the thing you can talk about but when you say like, "Hey, is there any positive sides?" I think I asked this multiple people already in a, like in a couple last couple of years where they were like, "Hmm, positive things. Hmm, difficult, difficult, difficult." <laughs> yeah, because you just don't really know, you know, like like where where does borderline end? Where do I start? Where um... this is so complicated because I mean you are not borderline. No, itself. exactly. This is also why I said why I ask like. What are the parts of borderline that you experience? Because I think, I mean, it's very broad. I think from autism is already pretty well known that you have a lot of different versions and there's like a whole spectrum. spectrum. And um, I think for a lot of disorders or diagnosis, this is the case where you fit in a certain stereotype, but not another, you know? Definitely. And um, yeah, yeah, it's complicated to... um, to deal with that also i think because there's also a lot of ADD, adhd memes that don't fit me you know where i'm like haha that's not me <laughs> but it's still funny but it's not me <laughs> yeah <laughs> or maybe i'm just refusing to see that and i'm like maybe it is me but i just don't see it could also be still still very present possibility but i don't think that's the case yeah how do you um just wondering if you experienced um misdiagnosis since you're um well yeah technically i guess the first time i was diagnosed um that was not at the ggz mm-hmm. say that right yeah um so i wasn't at a mental hospital yet it was just like from a psychologist like my gp had like sent me to because yeah. i was struggling with emotions um yeah, back then they diagnosed me with cyclothemia, which is like a lesser version of bipolar. And like technically it was a misdiagnosis, but it also kind of fit. Yeah, and it also you do couldn't get a diagnosis. No, I couldn't that, get yeah. it. Like like and it was like I don't know, even back then like the the reason I ended up like at the GGZ like eventually was really because that person eventually just looked at me and said, I I I, I don't know. Like, we've done everything that I can help you with. Yeah. And, um... How did that make you feel? I think it was kind of scary at mm. first. Um, also because then I kind of got a bit lost in the healthcare system in the Netherlands and I moved and then that, that was very complicated. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, um... I think it's also nice. Like, I've, I've generally had that experience. I really appreciate it when therapists and healthcare professionals know where their own boundaries are yeah know what they can and cannot do and i think in that sense like that was really the best thing that could have happened to me like ending up at the ending up with with the amazing therapists i've had um also with like with group therapy and stuff like in that sense like i'm really lucky that this one person was like 
I think you need more help than I can give you. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it was scary at first. Um, but it ended up being really good. Good. Yeah. Let's end on a good note then. Yes. And kind of round up. Is there anything you want to say or maybe an advice or something that helped you or anything? Uh, even if you can't relate, I think just accept that 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 is their truth. I think that's such a big thing in communicating. We, we all try to think that how we experience the world is how everyone experiences the world. And I think the best thing we can do is to stay open to the option that it's not. That's a good thing. Thank you, Kath, for joining us. Thank you. And now, yeah, um, to end up, I learned how to do this now. <laughs> uh, yeah, follow us on Instagram. You can send us an email. You can contact us via DMs. And um, if you want to join um, the podcast, of course, let us know. Clearly, we are also kind of going beyond the boundaries of the Kabaka. And we're also talking to students from other art academies. So we're venturing out. So if you want to join us and you feel like you have something to share, uh, please do. And I hope you listen, keep listening and we'll see you on the next one. Or hear you on the next one. <laughs> Thank you.